This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures, while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Rachel Pillsbury, who is the Head of Insights from Riviera Travel. So Rachel, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, Data IQ 100 2019, Data IQ 100 2020, and fresh off the back of um, mm-hmm. Analytics Team of the Year, 2020. So a privilege to to have you with us. So look, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into the topic and probably not a better person in the industry right now to kind of go over this with. But um, I guess before we kind of get into that, can you just give us a very brief introduction into your background and I guess journey journey to date? Yeah. Um, so like probably many people in the profession, I never thought I'd go into data and analytics. I actually started off with a degree in archaeology um, from Oberlin College, and that's in Ohio in the States. And um, I moved to Chicago, didn't have any job prospects and started temping at a financial company. And they decided to keep me on as well as giving me the chance to get a master's degree in computer science. Uh, so I took them up on that and found that it was sort of an area that I excelled at, especially on the data side of things. Um, but I very quickly realized that it would take me six to seven years to take evening courses to get this master's degree. So my husband and I up and moved to the UK where we could get a master's degree in a year. We found ourselves in Nottingham um, and I got a degree in computer science. My husband got a degree in um, uh, post uh, a postgraduate uh certificate in education. So he's a teacher now. Um, And that's where I started my data journey. So I've worked at places um, selling software, gaming at Gala Coral, moved on to Boots, um, did quite a spell there. Uh, Short spell at a fashion company, then I moved to Ikea. And now I find myself at Riviera Travel as head of insights, all the way along doing customer analytics, CRM, insight, visualization, all the stuff that we love to do. So I worked my way from the bottom up and found myself where I am now. Nice. Okay, perfect. So um, I know you started to touch on it there briefly, but just give us a kind of a snippet into your role now and kind of where that sits in the business. And I guess, you know, what you've been helping the business achieve. Yeah. So I came to Riviera Travel um, four and a half years ago. They didn't have any internal insights or analytics. I built the team from the ground up, starting with just me and and one other person initially. Um, And we've achieved a lot in the last four years, hence the the recognition from the data IQ especially. Um, And um, we've doubled, if not trebled, our team in size and accomplished quite a lot, doing all sorts of machine learning, visualization, CRM, customer research, all of the whole analytics and insight gambit. But of course, then COVID-19 hit and that sort of threw everything up in the air. Um, In March, back in March, we went from selling holidays and had to 
shift everything completely to refunding, transferring holidays. The Insight team was absolutely integral in that because we were the only ones that were that flexible to understand the day to be able to switch the business from selling to to doing what we had to do during COVID-19. And we have been integral getting um, Riviera Travel back on its feet again. But COVID-19 travel is not the best industry to be in. There has been redundancies. Mm. Um, So I myself have taken a voluntary redundancy and have moved into a more consultancy position at Riviera Travel. So my team still exists in their own right and um, they're helping Riviera Travel get back on its feet, but I'm taking a more strategic role, um, consultancy role, and working on um, just more short, medium-term, long-term strategy, thinking about how we can change the business in this new world as we see it, um, and trying to find ways that we can grow again. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for that insight. I guess um, we'll kind of re-loop at the end around where your future may lie because i'm sure there's probably lots of listeners that um you know maybe potential suitors that, that uh, would be keen to talk to you so we'll, we'll keep that on the back burner for now but so i guess to jump into it then obviously recently crowned the analytics team of the year at the iq awards um phenomenal achievement i, I kind of watched into to that and obviously up against some some pretty big hitters and some you know big players and big teams as well so a huge achievement um I guess, before we kind of start to try and unlock what some of the key considerations are from your perspective as to to how, you know, go about building that kind of analytics capability, I'd love just to get your thoughts on kind of why you think that you were successful and kind of won that award. Yeah, I think it's because we are a small team and we achieve so much that a lot of much larger teams with a lot more backing, a lot more support, a lot more money. Um have achieved and the fact that we're very flexible and agile and have the ability to transform Riviera travel from just using gut feel um, when I first started as far as what's driving their decisions and changing that into more data-driven and even customer-centric and then adding on top of that in most recent years data literacy and accessibility. I think it's all those things that have really helped the Insight team become so important to Riviera Travel. Um, And on top of that, I've also built the team up from scratch where instead of bringing in a a lot of external expertise, um, I've built it up using the talent that we've had in the business. And the way I've done that is to be really supportive of my team, um, to find ways that I can make them grow and develop and give them the headspace to be able to do those more interesting things that maybe maybe don't always end up with a, a fruitful outcome or something that is commercially viable, but they learn something. Um, but actually, more often than not, when we were trying things, we would we would every um, fortnight we would sit in a room together and and just think of ways that we can improve the business and just sort of bounce ideas off each other. And it's that sort of environment that really creates creativity, collaboration, camaraderie. And it's sort of that angle, I think, is why we won that award. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that's really interesting, and a lot of kind of things that you said there that I'm keen to try and uh, and pick apart. I know that when we kind of spoke in detail offline about this, we we kind of started to creep into the realms of kind of trying to create a team that's that's well rounded 
I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously you talked about there about not always having the need to go external. Um, yeah. And that's, that's something that I see a lot of businesses do evidently with the line of work I'm in, obviously, but um, domain knowledge is, I, I feel is probably one of the most underestimated things out there mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, having people from in the business that understand the business and what they're trying to achieve as opposed to going outside of it. With that in mind, then why do you feel it's so important to, to have that team that's so well-rounded and what, and what does that kind of consist of and in, in, entail from a kind of skill set perspective? Yeah. Like you said, it's often overlooked these skills that are more knowledge-based and, and less technical or skills-based. Um, so many times I see job adverts out there about the, the tools that we're using. Now, of course, that's important to have those skills. But if you don't have that innate ability to problem solve, to be able to question, to challenge and love learning. Those are the skills that I think you can't teach. And those are the skills I'm trying to find when I'm building my team. And especially, I mean, like I said, I don't have the luxury being up in Burton where Riviera travels based. We don't have the luxury of having a lot of brilliant uh, and experienced data analysts on our doorstep. And so we were pretty much forced to, to build them internally. And I think when you look internally and you look for those softer skills about problem solving, about just just people who like to solve puzzles even, like love watching Countdown, it's all those sorts <laughs> of things. Like if you spot those sparks of, of interest, you can then teach them the more technical side of the business uh, and our, and our uh, sector. And the addition of having them internal you're, you get over that hump of um, understanding the business. And so it takes usually three or four months for a lot of people to come in externally and understand the database and the quirks of it and all the, the, the intricacies of how it works. They already know that. And in fact, if they're coming from another area of the business, they might know something that we don't in the insight team know, and they bring that knowledge in and they make it well, well-rounded. Um, my team, um, three quarters of them came from our reservations department. So these are people who had who were on the phones dealing with customers every day, but also they were um, they had the front end of the database sitting there in front of them, so they knew all of the data that they were entering in. So they knew it from the user perspective. So teaching them the back end, it was a no brainer. And then finding those people who, like I said, had those those that personality that is that is so hard to teach the problem solving, the uh, puzzle solving. Um, and just the ability to just, or the drive just to want to, to do something different and change their lives and, and learn, that's what I found. And I created a really well-rounded team as a result. So the, this group of people um, came to me without much technical knowledge, but because they had the drive to learn, I gave them one, two, three days a month just to go off and learn technology on their own and try new things and, and have that discovery phase and that's... And, and understanding, um, you know, how different technologies work and reading blog posts and trying new things, even if they didn't work out. And that's how we ended up getting to some of the really excellent work that was commercially viable for the business. That's really interesting. So we're starting to kind of creep into the realms there of kind of allowing your team to experiment and kind of self-develop mm-hmm. by experimentation, which um, exactly. is interesting because um, last week I had uh, Ed Child, uh, I'm not too sure if you know, but a uh, studio retail, and he talked about the value of experimentation and development yeah. through experimentation. So um, so important to give your team that time because they learn so much from it. 
um, and they learn in their own style. Instead of somebody just sort of telling them what to do, they're finding their own feet and their own path and creating their own vision. And then they are much more vested in it and invested in it. And so, so I think it's just so important to, to build those skills up um, because not only it makes them better, but you trust them and it, and it shows that trust. Um, and it just makes the whole team just kind of pick each other up and, and everybody goes up another level because of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, really interesting and, and not one bit surprising that, you know, you've managed to build this team that's achieved so much by bringing people in from within inside the business that had effectively customer facing roles. You know, their job was yeah. to to convert, I guess, in some way, shape or form and problem solve and, and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, out of interest, because I guess this might be a question on a, a lot of people's minds, but how did you go about and outside of the experimentation, but how did you find the process of teaching these people, the technicalities and the the technologies? Because I guess that's probably one area where, you know, there's a lot of businesses that would love to do that. I've probably thought about doing that, but then they're kind of like, Oh, you know, they've got to learn this and this and how long is it going to take them? What what, what was that experience like for you? Um, So I guess, my team are a little bit lucky that I'm, I'm a very hands-on leader. So I sit with each one of them um, when they first start and just teach them everything I know how to do um, and give them the tools of finding the resources. Um, you know, Stack Overflow is brilliant for these sorts of things. Um, and, and to find where they can help get help to solve the problems that they're trying to solve because you know, in our community, somebody else has had the exact same problem as you have. And just going out and finding those examples to help um, in areas that I wasn't, you know, technically so good at. Like, for example, I, I could code a little bit in R, but I'm not that as good as some of the other people in my team because I, I pointed them in the right direction of where to find where to find the sources to be able to help them solve their problems. Um, but like I said, I'm very hands-on. So what I would do is I would... Um, give people a problem to solve and I would sit there with them and walk them through the problem. And we would sit there and code each bit one by one. And I would just be teaching them to do the job at the same time that they were learning. So it was was very, very hands-on and just sort of building it up from scratch. So you just, you do have to invest that time. You do have to invest that time to be with somebody one-on-one. And if you're a leader who isn't hands-on, you need to find somebody in your team that is willing to put the time in and sit with people individually. I've uh, tried in the past to send people to an external course. It doesn't really work. Um, It's much better to kind of get them into their real life situation as fast as possible and train from the ground up and just work with them and sit with them and say, okay, and, and, and watch them make mistakes and actually see how they deal with when a mistake happens and be like, oh, there's an error. What, what do you think that means? And, and you're, it's almost like you're a driver training and you're just sitting there and you just, and you just let them do what they need to do. And you let them make mistakes and you say, okay, have you learned from that mistake? Brilliant. Let's move on. And that's how it works. And so it's, it helps. I mean, I don't really have like a strict method of how it happens. <laughs> I find work. Yeah. I sit with them. I say, you have to do this now. How would you approach it? Okay. And sort of shape them and sort of, you know, make sure that they're doing okay, but let them choose the way that they like to learn and 
try and not take control and, and let them find their way, make their mistakes, let them learn from their mistakes, fail fast and improve and develop and develop. And that's how I do it. Yeah. Interesting. I guess my kind of next question off the back of that would be, and you, you touched on it earlier about obviously, you know, you're competing against businesses that have much, you know, bigger resources and are probably in, you know, much more attractive locations where it's more populated and all that type of stuff. Did you, when you first landed and you were looking to build that team, did you look externally or was it your first port of call to go internal? Was, was the, Um, was the internal kind of search based on the fact that it was a struggle to find external talent more so than the other way around? Uh, my first protocol was internally um, because I was doing immediately the, the easier things, yep. fixing reporting, fixing campaigns. And I found somebody in the business that was a bright spark that that had been overlooked, actually. Um, he was just in the marketing team and he uh, I saw all of the characteristics that make a brilliant analyst. The uh, questioning, the problem solving, numerate, all the things I was looking for. And he already knew the business. He'd been there for uh, two, two, three years, something like that. Um, so it was a no-brainer for me to, to sort of grab that person and train them, like I said, from the ground up and give them problems and, and, and work on solving them together. Um, when I wanted to start building out our machine learning expertise, I did go external because it was a specialism that I needed to get in quickly. Um, and I wanted to work with somebody who could bring skills like that into the team. And so I did go external. And that's certainly an option. But again, when I go external, I look for exactly the same things. I mean, I I just want somebody who knew about machine learning, didn't care whether it was R, whether it was Python, whether it was uh, SPSS, whatever it was, if they understood how a predictive model works, how segmentation, k-means clustering, those sorts of ideas, that's what I was looking for rather than the specific tool. Um, And so I brought that person in. They preferred R. I was like, brilliant, it's free. Let's get this in and work <laughs> together and and try and get some, some machine learning into the business. And that's how we built it up. But I still I still shy away from the idea of you have to know Python for five years. Uh, I want you to be somebody who um, is analytical, who knows knows the skills and the practices and knows how to apply them in real life because mm-hmm. That's so much more important. I've, I've seen a lot of people who come straight out of university, especially, who have a wealth of experience in a very specific environment at university where the data is very clean, this, the tools uh, are, are, are they're well-trained and they've got everything that they need. And then you pick that person up and you put them into a real life environment where the data is dirty and you need to get this done in four days, not four months. And you're just like, good enough is good enough. I don't Mm -hmm. care if it's a perfect model. If it's better than somebody guessing, that's good enough for me. And it's that sort of type of person who's flexible and willing to just apply real life commercial ideas to these sort of more statistically rigid uh, models brilliant more the better so so that's the type of person i tend to look for and those people are much better at growing with a business so if we one day decide to up and change tools they're much more likely to go with you rather than be sort of stuck in kind of tunnel vision and these are the only things i know how to do and i'm not going to deviate from that and 
and you want the people who can who can go on a journey with you. And so yeah. that's kind of what I look for. So I, I'm not saying you should totally go for building from the ground up. I think it's a combination. You still have to think about those softer skills um, in addition to the more tactical ability, just not so rigid on, on what tools you're using. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And as you touched on earlier, you know, companies that, that are looking to hire talent, um, you know, it's it's all it's all about the technology still for most businesses, you know, job adverts, like you say, and and, and that's not the important piece of the puzzle, right? If if someone's got the aptitude to be able to do the job in the first place, they've got definitely got the aptitude to be able to to learn and develop in in new technologies, whatever that may be. And not to yeah. say that it's not important, but the most important bit is the process of how you've gone from finding the problem in the first place to, you know, delivering some kind of result and, and output, yeah. you know, rather than the tool that, that you're using. So I find that really, really challenging. And obviously we started to creep then into, you know, maybe some of the challenges that we face as an industry um, based on our our kind of academia and, and, mm-hmm. and universities. But I guess before we, we get there, obviously when you did go and, and hire um, externally, obviously very particular about what you're looking for. And in my opinion, doing it exactly the right way in terms of the, you know, looking for the skill as a part, as opposed to the experience with the, with the tool. Um, mm-hmm. Did you kind of stumble across any other challenges out of interest? Um, well, yeah, I think being in Burton, I think finding, <laughs> finding the people um, external, you, it, it was difficult because there, there wasn't very many people really close by who had the experience of the more advanced analytics, the more the data science, machine learning um, that I was specifically looking for. But that said, being in the Midlands, you can pull from, from larger cities like Nottingham or Birmingham, and specifically the person I, I did hire did come from Nottingham. But you just have to be willing um, to be flexible uh with work-life balance you have to be flexible on salary and you have to convince that person that what you're trying to do um and the way you work is is better than another option that might seem more appealing like a bigger company or more uh, a a bigger analytics team or um more um expenses or or uh, resources as far as uh, budget for tools and that sort of thing um, the, the way I attracted people was to say, we are trying to do something that is really advanced in the travel industry um, and well ahead of our competitors. And we are a small team that is flexible and not very hierarchical. Everybody has a chance to contribute. Everybody has a chance to learn. You will have the flexibility of working from home. You will have a, hopefully a good enough salary to boot. And that's how I pulled people in because it's, it's the appeal of not being a cog in a machine, which is, a, is much more likely to be um, what you're going to be doing in a much bigger company. You have a chance to make a massive difference, have massive influence, talk to members of the exec team, the CEO, the board, which you wouldn't have in a much bigger business. And that's the appeal of going to a smaller business like that because you, you, what you are doing as an individual makes a much bigger impact then maybe at a much, much larger company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just talking to you, Rachel, it's starting to become quite obvious as to why you've been able to sculpt this team to the way that you wanted it, because everything you're saying is absolutely kind of 
bang on the money, really. When when I look around our industry and I look at how organizations are trying to acquire talent, obviously it's so competitive. Everyone's trying to do something with data now. But as you say, you, you look at any job spec and it'll tell you about the company, you know, how great they are to work for and mm-hmm. all the, the great, you know, team bonding days they do and the fact that they've got pool tables and they have, mm. you know, beer at the desk at three o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. Or, uh, and then, you know, the next bit is, boom, 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 a list of technologies that they use mm-hmm. and they want someone to have, you know, it's almost like a requirements list. Um, yeah. And and effectively kind of what candidates, and I'm seeing more and more of this these days. And I think we're kind of, we're kind of in, in, the, in the middle of a bit of a transition period, in my opinion. A lot of candidates now have started to realize that they could go somewhere and probably get paid more money, but as you say, be a cog in a wheel and their, their work, is not visible they, they don't yeah. know if they're adding any value they're getting no yeah. exposure to to the c-suite or to the stakeholders or often to the users you know they're they're kind of just kind of just a, a technical body to, to yeah. kind of deliver you know bits bits of work as part of a project mm-hmm. um and they they want to know now you know where data sits within the organization if it's if it's valued, but not like if it's valued because everyone says it's valued, but if it's truly valued, is it being backed? Yeah. Is it being invested in? You know, is the work that they're going to do make a difference? Are our actions and decisions going to be made off the back of the insights generated? Um, and we're mm-hmm. kind of getting to that transition period where a lot of candidates now are, are kind of looking for that stuff. But equally, mm-hmm. I still feel because of the way we attract talent and it's very based on technology, a lot of candidates kind of feel that, They've got to play that game to get the job mm-hmm. in the first place, unfortunately. So we're in we're in the midst of this really kind of strange time, but it's really good to see that, you know, you were able to position something to these people that was attractive and and everything you said, you know, a, a greenfield environment, being able to add true value, being able to see the, the visibility and value of, of your work, um, which I guess leads on to my next question of, with there being such demand for all of them types of skill sets, you know, not just analysts, but, you know, engineers, scientists, machine learning, AI people, and all that type of stuff. I'd be really curious to get your insight as to why you think that there's so much um, want and desires for these people, but I I guess the way how to find and attract them seems to be lost on the majority of organizations. Yeah. So um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, my husband's a teacher. So I do have a sort of insight about uh, the, the English education system. And um, you know, growing up in the United States, it's a little bit different. But I'm not saying that the United States doesn't also have the same problems of, of uh, trying to find enough data science, data analytics people. But I feel like England in particular forces you to specialize very early and choose one path or another, which tends to be arts and humanities or STEM. And that's at a very early age, the age of 14. And you're forced to specialize and specialize and specialize as you as you get older and you go through um, A-levels and then often to university. And it prevents the sort of well-rounded environment um, and uh, that allows people to go off in different directions and different fields and maybe find find ways to into the, the analytical world because it's almost like we are trying to funnel a very small group of people into analytics where I think we can pool them from a lot of different areas. When you kind of think about it, 
being an analyst doesn't have to come from maths. I mean, it's nice that you understand numbers, but everybody has to understand numbers to some extent. But being analytical, that can come from all sorts of different areas. Um, I specifically think about history and linguistics and even into English where you're analyzing text. You're still analyzing. You're still thinking about, you know, why is something happening? What's cause and effect? And there's a lot of areas of study out there that, that are a little bit more um, well-rounded cross-functional areas. I mean, I, I mean, like I said, I came from archaeology. Um, and a lot of people would say, how, would you, how did you end up in archaeology and now you end up in data science and analytics? Well, actually, archaeology is about piecing a puzzle together using information that you've dug out of the ground. <laughs> well, I'm doing the same thing, but the information comes from a database. It's not that different shift in mindset, really. Um, so it's, it's sort of encouraging people I and mean, we're not going to change the English education system. We're not going to change any education system. But we're, what we should be doing is rethinking where these skills come from. They don't have to come from mathematics. They don't have to come from economics. They can come from other areas because you are looking for somebody who can problem solve, puzzle solve, come up with correlations, cause and effects, tell a story, be visual, and, and I think when you're specializing, you lose bits of that and you lose um, those areas of expertise. And we should really be encouraging people who come from all sorts of backgrounds to come into data and, and analytics because we, you, you have to understand people, you have to communicate, you have to, you have to be visual. Um, my team, two of them have design degrees and that's really useful because they create incredibly good dashboards. So it's that sort of idea that we have to shift the way we're looking for people because we're not gonna shift the way the education system, we're not gonna shift how people are forced to specialize, but we can certainly shift the way that we think about finding talented people. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I know um, I mentioned to you that, you know, I'm part of a couple of work placement programs where it's, um, I guess, partnered with universities for what we would classify as, I guess, less conventional courses of study. So I guess in today's world, you know, if you're studying math, stats, computer science, you're probably going to end up in our industry due to the, you know, such high volume of demand. Yeah. Um, but as you say, there's there's other courses so if some of the, the programs i'm involved with for example it's around social sciences so um you know these people studying criminology they do a whole host of kind of quantitative and statistical analysis as part of their degree i went in there to do to do a, a, a speech if you want to call it that a speech to them around what a career in data could entail and i was absolutely gobsmacked that no one knew anything about it it was like you know someone had just turned a light bulb on like oh what, what businesses have loads of data and they want someone to kind of analyze it to give them some insight as to how to make better decisions. It's like, yeah. And the flip side of that is, well, do you not have to be kind of a, a techie to, to do that job? It's like, no, no, you don't, you know, for, um, so you're absolutely right. You know, there, there's so many other areas of study that we should be looking at. Um, and even now, you know, you see job specs for, you know, director level positions and it says you need to have a phd in machine learning or something and i'm just like this is this is crazy like where, where are we where are we going with this yeah. really you know so it's it's definitely interesting and i think the other thing to add um as you rightly say because these people are you know not necessarily the conventional type um it starts to help to address some of the diversity issues that we have because mm -hmm. that group that i was speaking about is probably 70 percent female all different mm -hmm. colors religions 
so on and so forth. So there's a whole host of benefits with, you know, very little drawbacks in, in my opinion, um, which, you know, is, is only going to be a good thing for the industry. And as you said, it's about raising awareness to get those people interested in data. That's going to allow us to, to bring them people in yeah. a little bit easier. So, and, and like you said, it, they could bring a completely different perspective that it could be so valuable to your business. Um, I think if there's any area that I tend to see where people who come from a traditional um, STEM background straight into analytics is the people element. Um, just being able to communicate not only to internal stakeholders, but to be able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer um, and the empathy and that sort of thing is, is, is really valuable. So somebody from a psychology background is, is actually really great at being an analyst, um, for example, but but uh, finding that diversity really really brings your team together and and sort of up your, ups your game and and makes you more productive. Yeah, I mean it's ironic that we're having this conversation based on the fact that um, you know most businesses out there one of their biggest challenges when they're recruiting is they say you know I need people with all this tech experience, but what I really need is someone that's you know, forward facing, can go and speak with stakeholders, can interpret data and tell stories and can communicate. And we're like, yeah. oh, hello, Find you know. <laughs> yeah. later. Yeah. I mean, there's no, why are we doing it that way around? Find yeah. the skills that you're actually looking for, which is great communicators, great analysts, evaluators, problem solvers, and then back solve the tech. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I guess as we start to wrap this up, then keen to kind of get your thoughts and um, obviously working in a place like Burton upon Trent, um, I only imagine that the whole remote working debacle that kind of COVID has thrust us, you know, quite quite far into that journey very quickly, um, may be a good thing for a business like Riviera. But what's what do you kind of see as the the benefits and the challenges from a you know shaping a team perspective in in that regard? Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a challenge. Um, I think one of the things that made my team great, I mean, the fact that we're small and flexible was brilliant, but the camaraderie that we had, the ability that we all could check each other's work, there was no hierarchy, it was let's bounce ideas off each other. That's, I think, kind of the area that's going to suffer the most is those, those times where you sit in a room with a whiteboard and just try and figure out a problem um, is we're just going to find, have to find a new way to do that um, and have hackathons or, what, or whatever, but it's just going to have to be digitally. Um, but that said, the positive certainly have come out of it is the flexible working um, environment and people to work, uh, allowed to work at their own pace and actually can be much more productive. I think, uh, in my experience, analysts always want to have at least a proportion of their day where they are not interrupted um, and that they could focus. And working from home has allowed us to really, you know, figure some problems out without being bombarded by questions and needs from other people who have a little bit of a different mindset and a little bit of a different way of working. So um, I think the if anybody is going to feel okay about working remotely, it's more more likely to be analysts because they're just like, I just want to code for like <laughs> four hours and leave me alone and nobody talks to me. And that's and that's a lot easier now um, instead of being in an open, open plan office where it can be a little bit noisy and disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've, I've been in the office twice now 
since March and I do miss that. I, I miss the camaraderie of being able to, to just ask people questions. I turn around and be like, oh, can you just look at this code for a second? I'm struggling here. And um, yeah, I mean, we do it now on Teams and, and, and share screens and stuff, but just talking to people, I think we all, we all miss that, yeah. no matter who you are. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that would be kind of reciprocated by most people. It's going to bring some benefits from a, mm-hmm. you know, attracting more diverse talent, uh, of course. But yeah, some of the yeah. challenges from a, you know, management perspective and that camaraderie, as you said, is um, is going to be where the challenge is. So, okay, fair enough. So before we wrap up then, obviously, you personally, you know, don't want to make this a huge plug for, for you, but um, but but why not? You've, you've given us your your time and we're, we're very grateful for that so um obviously tied into riviera to, to the end of the year um if there's any potential suitors out there that are interested in speaking to you and i'm sure there will be after listening to this but what are the kind of key things for you in terms of you know why someone should potentially reach out well first and foremost i'm always up for a challenge always looking for something new and interesting which is why i'm in data because every day is interesting um, but I'm certainly looking for most likely a sector change. I think travel is a little bit tough at the time, at this time. But um, I'm, I'm, you know, open for anything. But I especially love leading a team, as is proven by my experience. Building up a team from scratch, building up an insights function from scratch, is where I specialize. Um, and I love doing that because you really see how a, a business can just shift from being about gut feel moving into, into data centricity and data literacy. And it's, it's really satisfying to see that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think any company um, that is willing to take that next step into data, uh, it's always an, an exciting and, and fruitful uh, direction. Everybody needs data these days. Everybody needs to be more data savvy. Um, and it's the right way to go to make your business grow. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I guess last question from me, if anyone wants to get hold of you, whether that's to be, you know, to, to pick your brains on your awards and how you did that and some of the stuff we've discussed here today or maybe about future opportunities for you on a, on a personal level, what's the best way for people to get hold of you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, and you see all of my experience there. Um, and then you can get hold of me directly through that. Perfect. Cool. Well, Rachel, thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure having you on and um, we'll speak to you soon. Great. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks, Rachel. Bye. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week.